Welcome to MPA Pod, the Mortgage Professional Australia podcast. I'm Anthony Field, editor of Mortgage Professional Australia. My guest today is a well-known and highly respected figure in the industry. Sam White is the executive chairman of LMG, Australasia's largest aggregator. Welcome, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, you know, my pleasure. Great to have you here. We're going to discuss some really hot topics that are um, affecting brokers at the moment. The first thing I want to talk about is clawbacks. It's it's something that brokers, you know, it's uh, it's a big issue that affects every broker. Where do you stand on bro- broker clawbacks? Yes, I mean, it's a massive issue and it's a very emotional issue because brokers do a lot of work and then get their, you know, when, when they not sure if they're going to get paid until you know, until two years passes, it's a it's a real problem. So. Um, we've had a pretty clear position on clawback. Uh, the first thing is, I know this is probably not popular, is that we do think we need clawback in, in some form. Um, the reason why is that I think if we, if clawback disappeared tomorrow, um, it, it would be, um, uh, we, we get paid less. So I think we get, a, we get a, be a worse outcome for brokers at the long-term average for clawback is 5% uh, of, of upfront revenue got clawed back over the last, that's, that's what we've seen over the last 15 years. The last two years, with all this cash back that was going on, we saw a real spike. So that 5%, which it normally runs out, went up to 11, some cases higher than that, some states it's up to the 12, 13%. So that means that every you know, 12 or 13% of the time, brokers were doing the work and getting paid nothing. Um, that's obviously, a, that's a real problem. Uh, so if we got rid of clawback though, my belief is that we would see a, a bigger reduction in commissions than than the corresponding offset in, in it that we're losing through uh, through clawbacks. And I think, and most brokers get the question, "Do you want to get rid of clawbacks?" I say, "Yeah, of course," but I don't think it's comparing apples with apples because I don't think that the the commission rates we get paid uh, would would stay. I think they'd be reduced, and I think they would be reduced by more than the amount of the clawback that we get. So I think brokers would be net losers um, if that happens. Now, having said that, um, I think the clawback process is is unfair, uh, and I think it needs to be changed. So uh, we've been advocating for a long time that we think it should be a twelve month process, and that it should be amortised over that period of time. Uh, and the reason for that is that, um, you know, I, I think it, it, it balances the risk and return for bank getting a client from a broker and then managing that cl- customer moving forwards and. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a fair outcome, uh, and it would also mean that brokers have a lot more confidence uh, in in their cash flows moving forward. So um, that that that's our view. So they're like almost like a necessary evil cashbacks, aren't they? And and, and I guess uh, what have what have the LMG brokers been saying to you about what what's their f- the feedback from them about? Uh, no, they stand on it. No one likes uh, clawbacks, obviously, uh, and um, no one wants them. And, and obviously, whatever we should be we should be minimising them as much as possible because. Even if there is no clawback, if the life of the loan is only you know one or two years, then they're really you're not getting loan book growth, and your, and your business is less valuable. So we should be looking at how do we help a customer, you know, have a have a have a longer term relationship with lenders. Um, so yeah, uh, cashback isn't necessary, but I think if it wasn't there, the upfront commission we get paid would be less because the banks are going to say, well, we're not sure how long this loan's going to stay for, and everywhere around the world we've seen we've seen the upfronts lower than what we get in Australia. Um, and I think if cashback goes, uh, sorry, if clawback goes here, um, we would see a, a corresponding reduction in our upfronts by more 
than than the reduction we'd have in in the uh, in the clawback. You mentioned uh, a number of banks have changed their policies regarding clawbacks. Uh, what do you think of some of those changes and, and how are they benefiting brokers? Oh, I, I think some of those, I think we haven't seen enough changes yet. I mean, we've always respected the Bank West policy. The 18 month straight line, I think is is a fair, uh, uh, is a much fairer model than what we've seen 100% then 50% you know, over two years. So we like the, I really like the Bank West model. Uh, and I know there's increasingly uh, more and more lenders looking at that type of model, and we'd really encourage that to happen. We think it should be over 12 months rather than 18, but the straight line amortization, I think, gives a, 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 a better sharing of the risk and return between the broker and the bank. So is this something that you're lobbying uh, the lenders about in terms yeah. of, you say 12 months is ideal, is yeah. it something you've talked to lenders and also... Um, industry bodies like the MFAA and FBAA. Yeah, it's our position. That, that's pretty. Yeah, we've we've stated that our position with all the lenders uh, and uh, and all the industry associations. We believe very clearly that that um, we're the industry is better suited by a fairer um, uh, return, risk return um, uh, basis of of clawback. That's that's preferable, much more preferable than the current system. Um, and and yeah, I think everyone everyone's pretty clear on why we stand on that. Okay, I understand overseas. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. There, there, some countries have moved to get rid of clawback, and it's had uh, a negative effect on on what's ha what happens with land. So it's, it's it's interesting. Like in, in New Zealand, which is um, you know uh, they they have a lot of fixed rates. So Australia's unusual because we have a lot of variables. I know recently had a lot of fixed, but at the moment, you know, normally Australia's a, a variable rate market. Most of the other markets are fixed rate markets. So. The clawback is not as relevant there as what it is. Having said that, in New Zealand, um, the clawback, it, it most, if, if you have a, the clawback goes for 27 months. So in Australia, it's limited, can't do more than two years, as you know. Um, uh, but in New Zealand, it goes for 27 months. So it goes for three months beyond the two-year fixed rate, which I think is a, I think it's not fair either. Um, the, uh, the other thing in New Zealand is that a broker can charge a clawback fee uh, to a client. Uh, whereas in Australia, we can't do that because that's against the law. Uh, so, yeah, that, but in New Zealand, that regulation doesn't happen. So, so, so both lenders and brokers uh, can charge a, a clawback fee uh, to, a, to a client, as long as it's disclosed, obviously. Uh, so um, we think that's, that, that's, a, that's a difference in, in market. In Australia, we don't see that brokers will ever be able to charge a clawback because I, I think the government here is, both sides of the government, very clear that they don't want any any restrictions on a, on a on a client being able to leave a lender, and I think they view a potential clawback fee uh, as charged to a client as a as a as a, uh, a in effect a, a break fee on a client, and in effect that will re reduce competition. And we've seen all the governments be very keen to promote competition, so I'd see very little chance of that changing here in Australia, and that clawback fees charged by brokers to clients will remain illegal. Okay. Thanks for uh, your thoughts on that. It's, it's obviously a fascinating topic that, you know, will be argued about mm. for years to come. Moving on to another, oh, sorry. Sorry, just to tell on the clawback, the other thing, I mean, the hardest thing about it is um, the lumpiness and the unexpectedness of it. Uh, and I think, you know, one thing, especially as businesses are getting bigger, we, we, we know some some brokers now putting aside some cash flow, yeah, 5% of cash flow to actually help fund um, clawbacks and uh, I think it's, it's something we should be budgeting for as an industry, uh, and and uh, I think that's part of the process. Is is we I want to hopefully with the cashbacks going, we should get that clawback back to five percent 
5% I think is manageable. Yeah, where we are now, 11, 12%. I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's such a big problem because it's such a big number. Um, and uh, I, I hopefully we'll start to see that come back down to the long-term averages of about 5%. Right. Yeah. Moving on to another hot topic, uh, net of offset commissions. Yeah. Uh, so they've been a, a bugbear for brokers for a long time. H- how did how did we first come to have net of offset commissions and how much are they, are they of a problem for brokers? Yeah. Uh, so, so net of offset um, came about really because in – uh, the mid in 2016, we had a, a remuneration review uh, done by ASIC, and they looked at all of our data and they looked at all the bank's data, and they, it was the biggest data exercise that ASIC had ever done at, at, up to that point. One of the things they found was that, oh, sorry, first of all, they found that brokers were awesome generally, um, and that there was no real conflict in how things work. That was the first, that was the overarching thing. One of the things they found underneath was that um, broker loans were bigger uh, than, 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 than branch baselines. Now, I think there's all sorts of explanations for that, um, and but but one of the concerns that the regulators had was that brokers were putting clients into more debt to get paid more commission, and that was the fear they had. Now, I've I personally seen that. I, 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 don't, I don't believe that's the case because I know how good brokers are and what a great job they do for their clients, but that was the concern that regulators had. One of the things the industry came up with, particularly as we're going to the Royal Commission, and this was 2019, you know, Commissioner Hayner released his first uh, or 2018, I think it was, he released his first um, uh, preliminary report. Uh, I think it was in like uh, August. And between August and, and this final report in February, we were grappling as an industry with how do we solve this problem of, um, you know, this concern of, of, of loan sizes and, and that fear that regulators had that we were putting clients into debt only to get paid more, which I, I know is offensive, but that was a concern. So what we... What we decided was saying, we'll, 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 we'll only get paid on what the client uses. And we thought that was a way of actually ensuring that it would satisfy the regulators, but also, um, uh, and, and would mean that as, as, as Commissioner Hayne was going through the remuneration, going through the Royal Commission, that it would also mean that we would be able to, uh, would be one less reason for, for, for abolishing commissions. Now, of course, he decided to do that anyway, um, but that was the reason why net of offset came in. Um, and and, and that's, that's what happened. Now, the problem with net of offset is that it's so confusing. It's so, it's implementation, yeah, wasn't at the industry's finest hour. Part of that was because, you know, this was released just around the time the Royal Commission was being released. Uh, there was all sorts of noise. There was sorts of movement. It became quickly a, a, a story that wasn't really that relevant until the coalition won in May. And then it became relevant again. And then we went to COVID, you know, six months later. So, all the lenders have different views. They have different um, policies on how it works. I think it's confusing. I'd love to see some standardization. And some of the standardization I'd like to see is that clawback, sorry, with net of offset, um, that, that we get paid, brokers get paid quicker. So some, some, some lenders make a broker wait 12 months until uh, they work out how much of that balance has been used. I think that's unfair. I think it's too long to make a small business owner wait 12 months to be paid. So we like the ANZ policy, which is monthly, where they actually assess that every month and make the adjustment. Now, it's a pain for our commission systems, but it's great for brokers. And I think that's what, that's what we like. The other thing is, it, is that you know, if it's good enough to take clawback over two years or 18 months, then surely it's good enough to have net of offset go for that period of time. So net of offset being only 12 months, we think is not balanced with the, with the clawback policy. And we think that we should align clawback and net of offset that it shouldn't go for the same amount of time. So 
if the lenders are insisting on having clawback for two years, then so should net of offset be two years. Our data shows that about 10% of the, of the commissions um, are not paid because of net of offset at the time of settlement. And then over that period of time, over the 12 months, about 60% of those, of those, of that withheld amount eventually gets paid to a broker. Now, obviously, depending upon which demographic a broker's in, um, depends on, you know, how much of their loan balance and how much their clients are looking for a, a net of, uh, have offset accounts and, and, uh, and, and significant balances in those offset accounts. And what have um, LMG brokers been saying to you about net of offset? Where do they, where do they sort of stand in this uh, argument? I think uh, it's hard to generalize for all brokers, all LMG brokers. I mean, I think uh, like everything, they want more consistency. Uh, they would like to have a better, more clarity, better reporting, um, better understanding of, of this. And sometimes that's hard to people on the lenders' systems. Uh, so that's that's one thing um, that they would like. Most of them do understand that if 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 the clients aren't using the money, then 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 that they shouldn't get paid. Um, and uh, until the client does use the money. So I think that's that's broadly accepted. But I think the view that we all share is that if a broker produces value for a lender, they should be paid on that, um, regardless of when it actually happens. And I think um, that's a principle that we're very keen on making sure our lenders understand. Well, that seems like a pretty common sense approach that you'd, yeah. you'd think that the industry would take up. Yeah, What are you doing sort of in terms of lobbying Hotels that be about yeah, it's the same principle we we think with um with uh you know with with clawback is that we we talk to the lenders about these issues at, at the same time yeah and each lender we have a, a discussion with and yeah we we have a very clear that that we have a twelve month net of offset twelve month clawback policy we have a net of offset policy which uh is um yeah paid monthly uh it, it, rather than having to wait twelve months we do think it's right whatever the whatever the lender decides on 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 clawback. They should also decide the same period of time on net of offset. Okay. Well, that that we we sort of touched on this before, um, associated with clawback. But cashbacks, obviously, the, the things have changed uh, in terms of the market. Most of the major banks and many other lenders have got rid of cashback offers altogether or reduced them significantly. Why do you think this hap- this is happening? And obviously, this is something you'd welcome. Yeah, I mean, it, the, I think banks had access to a whole lot of term facility funding you know, that came out during COVID. So they got ultra cheap rates they could price against and and, and it made customer acquisition pretty important, particularly with, 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 with fixed rates. Um, and then as the as those were rolling off, obviously the banks wanted to make sure that they could keep those clients. And the problem with cashback is it was resulting in so much clawback that Brokers were doing a lot of work and not getting paid. So even though we were getting the sugar hit of the refinance, refinances, we were training clients or the banks, actually it wasn't the brokers, by the way, the banks, we, brokers never asked for, for cash back. We, banks decided to do it. What the banks did was they trained their customer to keep expecting it, which meant that brokers were doing more and more work for less. Uh, and I felt it was going to be unsustainable. The other concern I had was that yeah, they, they, those amounts were capitalized by the lenders, those four grand cashbacks. And so they're writing up maybe $1,000 over four years. Um, so, so it, you know, the next three years, you know, we'll still see the cost of clawbacks will still be hitting, cost of those cashbacks will still be hitting the bank's balance sheets, uh, or bank's P&Ls. I think that's a concern because you've got really the, 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 the work that we've done now is being amortized over a long period of time. And think as, as margins get tighter, um, my concern was that 
the lenders would start to blame margin pressure on the broker. Um, when of course broker had nothing to do with, with the cash back, it was really the lender. And, um, I was worried it was getting a bit out of control to be honest. Mm. And, um, and, and so I'm glad to see that that's come back and, and that customers can get a great service from their broker who can talk to them about how to structure their deal, what type of options there are. Whereas cashback really dumbed down broking. It's all about like who you give you four grand or who you give you six grand. And I just felt that wasn't in the best interest of the customer. That was in, yeah, that was just a, a simplistic sort of way of looking at helping a customer. Um, but the real value a broker brings is in so much more and understanding what the customer wants, finding a solution to that problem, explaining to the customer those, those, those type of, of, uh, of options, and then helping the client go through that process. And I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's, I'm glad they've gotten rid of it. I know that will reduce the total number of refinances we get. Um, but I think it's a, it's a healthier, uh, uh, environment for brokers to operate in. I think there's also brokers are concerned about, I mean, some of the amounts were crazy 6,000, I heard up to $10,000 cashbacks, but, and, and the customers are obviously, you know, see the flashing lights of this and think, oh, I'm going to take this up. But what brokers are concerned about is that it doesn't take into account, well, over the life of the loan, are you really better off? So that that's probably yeah. a big thing as well. Well, clients were, yeah, exactly right. And clients were, you know, leaving after three months, you know, and trying to say, look, I want to get another one. Um, well, six months, you know, it's, it's sort of, that, if that kept happening and clients kept being trained to do that by lenders, um, effectively the average life of loan would be six to 12 months, which would be you know, a disaster for, I think for, for everybody. Hmm. So do you think, um, obviously the market's changed with interest rates and inflation, et cetera, uh, and, and the, the sustainability factor that you mentioned about lenders can't really sustain these big cashbacks. Do you think that will, that will, will go back to cashbacks once, once the market picks up and interest rates fall? Do you, can you see foresee that happening, or is this if we got rid of them for a fair while now? I, I think cashback was a lazy answer to a customer um, solution. I think I'd much rather see banks invest in customer service and and in competitive products and innovation in that space rather than just say here's some money, um, because I think that produces I don't think it produces the sort of outcomes that everyone wants. Um, so I'd like to see lenders invest more in, in their in their service levels uh, and in their products uh, and probably and steer away from the cashbacks. That's my personal view. But obviously every 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 bank CEO is going to make their own decisions around that. Um, uh, but I, I think I'd, that's where I'd like to see the investment directed. Mm. I guess the uh, the other factor is existing customers getting treated as well as as new customers. Where do you where do you stand on that? There's that. I appreciate it. And I think, I think, um, that's happening more and more now. I think we're seeing, uh, more book pricing and front book pricing get closer. Um, and I think there'll always be a differential. I know some lenders have, have, have gone out and proudly say there isn't any, uh, and I respect that. Uh, but I do think there was always a case for lenders wanting to get new, new volume flow coming in. And, uh, so I do think there'll be, uh, there will continue to be dip, some differential in that. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously our role is to work with, uh, or a broker's role is to understand what a customer wants and define those options. And the more options and the more types of flexibility there are, and if there are people with sharper front ends or sharper back end rates, then they're, they're the options our brokers can talk to clients about. Um, where I think, where it becomes too homogenous and where it becomes, you know, everything's the same, I, I think 
that that weakens our proposition. Uh, when there's choices and some banks compete very aggressively and some banks don't, um, some banks are you know look more policy, some more pricing. Um, that's that's the environment where brokers add real value to their customer. Okay, that segues nicely into our next topic, which is repricing and refinancing. Oh, what are the benefits and disadvantages of both repricing and refinancing? Uh, from a client point of view, or from a broker, or I think. I think. I think from both. Yeah, I mean, I mean, from a client point of view, if, I think if you can get a a repricing and stay where you are, um, that's a great outcome, uh, and it's one of the reasons why the trailing commission is so important because and it's one of the things I think Commissioner Hayne missed in his, you know, with all due respect to the Royal Commission, is that, you know, from a broker's point of view, they are incentivized to say to say the client, look, stay where you are. I'll go and get a better deal for you with your current lender without you having to do anything. And uh, I think it's great practice for brokers to do that. And I know the vast majority of brokers now actively look, make sure their clients are on a good deal. Um, and of course, where that's not the case, um, then, then, then yeah, under the best interest duty, there's an obligation now for us to start to look at, can we get a client a better deal? And I think, um, if repricing doesn't happen, uh, and, and where there is a significant difference, um, for that to be put to the client to say, look, we can't get the pricing right. Um, maybe we should look at something else. I think that's something that clients should be aware of. Uh, and, and, um, now, so, so that's, that's, I think going to be one of the, um, defining issues over the next few years is how that process works with lenders um, and how do we get lenders to really um, uh, put their best foot forwards when we ask for a repricing rather than you know, ask for repricing, get told no, client then wants us to go and do a full scan of the best interest duty for the market, we go and do a full application, all the work that a broker does for that, all the work the client does for that. And then we get new documents, bank spends a lot of time doing it. And then the original bank comes back and says, listen, actually, you know what? We'll, we'll match the pricing or, or we'll give you a better pricing even than what we would have given. And so a whole bunch of time gets wasted. Clients get frustrated. Broker's time gets wasted. So we would like to see that, you know, when there's a repricing request that the bank has an option to put the pricing to the client and we're happy to go to the, go to the bank first. So listen, we want to get the best pricing we can for this client. The bank gives us that pricing. And then the bank is then held to that number for say 30 days, uh, which then means that if the client doesn't, doesn't want to take that repricing and wants to do a scan, the broker then goes and does that with the, and the, and the lender knows that the broker will do that. Um, I think that gives better competition, uh, for lenders to keep their clients. Uh, but it also means that a broker can do the work in doing the best interest duty work and the full scan of the market and a full application again knowing they're not going to get gazumped by the original lender just matching the deal in the end. They, if they want to match it, they should do it up front. Um, now, we see that work in other industries, you know, particularly in energy in, in Australia, and we think there's a, a regulatory response to that, which we'd like to see. Um, and yeah, I've heard that um, situation, that scenario, yeah, many times from brokers, all that work they put in, yeah, the original lender comes in, gazumps them. Uh, and, and it's also as simple as, some brokers can't even get access to the, the what deal, yeah. the actual loan deal the, the client is on. Yeah. Once they've done it, done there. That, that is, it's a real, it, that's one of the challenges actually is the broker having enough information. And sometimes, you know, I know a lot of brokers feel uncomfortable. They feel uh, as though they, they've done it, they've helped the customer and then you know, they've got to go back and, you know, in a year's time and, and, and they've got no information on the, what's happening to the loan balance. And I know the customer says, well, hang on, mate, you did my loan, don't you know? And the 
broker saying, look, no, I don't know because I don't get the information from the lender. So, um, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the things that happens, but I know open banking hopefully will start to solve that issue, um, for brokers in time. Mm. So what is you, what is your advice to LNG brokers when they're sitting down to have that conversation with their, their clients about repricing and refinancing? Is, is there a, a certain approach they should take? Oh, we, we encourage them obviously that, or they, they, their, their obligation is to make sure they're acting in the client's best interest at all times. So. One of the things that is, is to see, can we get you a better price with your existing client? And most brokers do that now without talking to the customer, you know, or they'll, they'll have a discussion and they'll, they'll get a, a brief uh, recommendation and then they'll go and, and, and seek that repricing. Um, and, and in the vast majority of cases, that's, that satisfies the customer and the banks do respond to that. Um, in the event that that doesn't happen, then, you know, the next question is for the, for the broker then to say, well, listen, this is something now that can I help you now look at, at, a, at a full refinance? And, um, you know, brokers don't want to churn that customer. Um, and in my experience, most of them would rather the, rather the bank just look after the customer you know, uh, from the start. But um, when they don't, then, of course, a broker needs to make sure that their client is getting a good deal for somewhere else. Mm. Uh, obviously, there's been a really high levels of refinancing um, due to interest rate rises, et cetera. Where do you think it's um, headed uh, over the next, say, six, 12 months? Well, you know, um, in terms of the refinance market, yeah. and, you know, I, I think um, I think we're going to be in a period, my personal view is probably a period of a bit of stability now. Yeah. I could be totally wrong in that, obviously, but uh, if rates are stable and there's less cashbacks, then I think we're going to see less reason to, to change. So I think we'll see refinance numbers drop down a bit. And, uh, you know, blokes will be out there again, working for, um, you know, new clients and for referrals from existing clients and, 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 and referrers, um, as opposed to relying on as much refinance business as we've had. So last year in our group, uh, 59% of our business was refined. Um, and, uh, you know, we started to see that number drop, uh, now. So, uh, I think last month it was just over, it was about 50% was refined. So that will progressively, I think, uh, slow down. The long-term average was sort of... Th- 30s. Um, I think it'll be, we won't get back to that, but I think it'll be somewhere in the 40s, early, late 30s, early 40s. There's still quite a few people to roll off uh, their fixed, yeah. fixed rates. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So I guess that that's a factor that's going to keep those refis going. That's true. And I think there's probably another three or four months that give you this on that. Um, and and I, I know there's a, there's a long tail. Um, and, I, and obviously brokers are looking after their customers, staying in touch with the customer. Um, and I think the more the banks work to retain existing clients, the more that's going to be, um, you know, us looking for, for, you know, refinance numbers will drop because there's less need to have to refinance a customer. Well, thanks very much for that. Um, moving on to our, uh, probably one of the most contentious topics, uh, in the, in the mortgage industry at the moment is obviously payroll tax, uh, for brokers, for brokers are not aware. I don't think there's too many out there who are not aware, but can you, briefly explain what Revenue New South Wales wants to do in terms of charging payroll tax. Yeah. So basically they view that the, the, the money that goes from a lender through an aggregator to a broker, they view the money that goes from through that process and the money that goes from the aggregator to the broker as wages. Uh, it's what's called a relevant contract and a deemed relevant contract. So they say, well, well, they say, yeah, we know brokers aren't employees. What they do say is, well, it's, we're going to treat that like wages under this 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 regulation, and therefore we're going to take payroll tax out. So what that means is that for every dollar that you know um, goes from an aggregator to a broker, 
five cents of that actually goes to the government. So instead of passing through 100%, you pass through 95. Um, now that's a problem because that whole five cents is what's well, aggregated as profit margin, firstly. Uh, and so that wipes out that profit margin, and therefore the broker has to, the aggregators have to pass some of that, some of that on to brokers. Um, I think it's a, it's a cash grab uh, from state governments. It's completely wrong. It misses the whole point that broker businesses are independent operations that run their own business, they own their own clients, they operate from their own premises if they have it, or they set their own rules within a framework of legislation, um, which all industries operate under. Um, and so I, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just, so we, we got assessed, uh, from revenue New South Wales. They came and told it that was their argument. We said, mate, that's totally wrong. Um, they kept going with it and going with it. And we thought we'd be able to work it out with them. Um, they just didn't listen or, it, you know, they, and they kept coming up with, with their view. So we felt the only way to go was present our argument to the court. Uh, so we, we, we commenced that process back in, uh, March this year. Uh, went through to uh, April, May, uh, and um, that was the. Uh, so we we had our case. Uh, His Honour has got the 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 all the, the the testimony from a lot of brokers. There was some brokers who testified on our behalf on the, the industry, uh, uh, and there was um, you know uh, myself and some of our other team uh, testified. So um, His Honour's got to make a decision. We hope. Uh, that will be sometime in the next three to six months um, that we get an answer. It's been three months already. Uh, so we're waiting to see what that answer will be. So do you think LMG's a bit of a test case for this, oh, where this is going to play? Yeah, they've, they've definitely, they've, they've assessed other aggregators and, and it is an aggregator issue. It's not a, it's not a particular, you know, type of business model. Um, we've, we've asked. So it's not, so it's not, um, they're not targeting particular types of aggregators because obviously you've got quite a lot of different models. You've got franchise models, you've got yeah. um, standalone sort yeah. of it, keep your own name type models. So where they, where it is today um, is that Revenue New South Wales is not having any distinction between a business model of whether it's a franchise or a brand or a commission split or a flat fee, license, non-license, credit rep or not. Um, they don't, the Revenue New South Wales, for what I understand, it, for what I've what, what, what we've what we've been told uh, by Revenue New South Wales is they don't see any difference in any of that model. They just look at it all as money going through from aggregator to a, to a broker, and therefore that is a, a payment uh, and, and a payment of wages which should be taxed. It's a clear sign the state governments have got massive problems. They're going to tax whatever they can, and you know we were relying. We're hopefully in. I was probably a bit naive when we first started. I thought, oh, well, we'll just explain to them how it works and. Um, but it, it's clear that it's not a logical argument that they're presenting. It's, it's clearly the, 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 a firm belief they have, um, which we need to challenge. And you know, if we're wrong, then, then we, the, the, the court will tell us that. But um, you know, we're, we're confident with the argument we put. Uh, and you know, we're looking forward to, to the judgment being handed down. So what do you think if, if Revenue South Wales is successful with this and the, uh, your appeal fails? Uh, what are the ramifications for the industry? So one thing I haven't added uh, uh, is that there is some exemptions that Revenue New South Wales allow. So if a business has more than one staff member in their business, then then Revenue New South Wales will say that that's an exemption. So uh, so if you have more than one broker, uh, or one staff member, um, now how that's defined is really 
uh, nebulous, and that's part of the thing we want to test in our case. Um, so there are exemptions. If if we, if we lose, um, what will happen is that uh, individual brokers who who can't substantiate to have another person in their business will be will will need to have payroll tax deducted from from uh, from those payments that Nagaliana makes. I think that's what will happen. Um, now that means that money that should be going to the broker is going to the government, which is um, it's a tax on the smallest of small businesses. It's a it's a tax on their revenue. It's it's um it's a completely unfair. Um, but if it happens, then I think that then small business owners or very small the one man bands would need to decide: Am I happy to take that deduction, or am I? I'll be happy. Am I? Will I take that deduction, or will I get out of the industry? Or will I decide to sell my business or merge with another company uh, that has, so I can have two or more people in my business? And I think it will um, uh, result in a whole bunch of uh, decisions that brokers need to make, which they shouldn't have to make because what the government's doing is so wrong. Um, so that's what we're fighting for. Um, and, and it's also uh, yeah, fighting for, I think, the principle that, that brokers uh, operate their own shops, their own uh, they're they're proud of their customer service. They 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 want to maintain that um, independence and not be able to be told we've well, got to employ someone or you've got to do this or you've got to do that. Um, simply because the government's trying to get in more revenue from 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 by stretching into this space, which clearly they don't they don't belong. And I guess also there's a snowball effect if 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 the New South Wales government is successful with this, then it could be rolled out to other states as well. Well, it will be. So the, they had a thing called harmonisation, which, except for Western Australia, which everything seems to be different in Western Australia, but to Western Australia, it won't apply, um, or at least at the moment. In all the other states, it will, because it, the, the cases that happen in, in Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, SA, are all the, apply everywhere, um, because they're all the same legislation. So for example, our case will be a precedent in New South Wales, in, in Victoria, SA, and Queensland as well as New South Wales. So whatever happens here happens around the country, with the exception of West Australia. Okay. I guess my final question then is: if if the your appeal fails and this goes through, is there any any further action the industry can take to try and stop it? Well, that's the thing. So we spoke to a lot of government bodies, um, and particularly there was an election in New South Wales, you know, not too long ago, about six months ago, I think. Um, None of the politicians really wanted to hear the the argument. Their, their position was, look, mate, you're going before the courts. There's no point talking about it now. Let's wait to see how you go. So if we lose, then I think it's, it's it'll be yeah, getting the industry together and having, you know, and we'll be going, you know, really uh, presenting, a, 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 I think, an industry-wide position. Um, at the moment, no one's quite sure what the rules are. His honour will determine what those rules are by, in his judgment. And based on that, we'll then say, okay, we either need to, to um, if it's unfavorable to to us and to the industry, then I think it's an industry issue that we need to come together on. And I know the industry associations, FBAA, MFAA are keen to support that, um, as, as are other industry members. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's what I think will happen if um, if we lose. If we win, then um, yeah, we, we won't need to worry about it. Yeah. Well, let's, let's hope that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you very much for your time today, Sam. I really enjoyed our chat and um, it's great to hear from an industry leader like yourself. And my pleasure. Thanks for having me along. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into MPA Talk. 
You can listen to the latest episodes on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and all major listening channels. Just search for MPA Talk.